0: My name is Brian Stock. I'm a I'm a relief preacher, calling the righty, uh, and uh, Pastor Mike, uh, who is the pastor here, uh, is not here today. He's on vacation, so I'll be preaching for you today. Uh, so, if you can please open to your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We'll be in chapter 21, and we'll be looking at Revelation 21. 1 through 8 as we close off this year and look into 2013. So let us read our passage. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Will you pray with me? Lord God, there is great hope in this passage for our souls today. May you illumine our hearts. May you give us eyes to faith to see so that we can be, like you said in the passage, one who conquers because you have conquered already. May we trust in you more. Lord, be with me as I preach. May you anoint me with your spirit. May my words be your words for the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, what are you going to live for in 2013? What's going to drive you? Where are you going to put your hope? As we come to this passage, I want to set it up by challenging us about hope, your hope. I want us to think deeply about hope today. Now, there are several options in the world today in which one can place their hope in. Do you, like so many people do, do you hope like a naturalist or an atheist who says that this earth, nature, is all there is, and there is no God, no spiritual realm. Realm, There's no God... That who made us, there's no God who knows us. There's no God who comes to us. There's no God who comforts us, and there's no God in the end who will greet us. Just this life, you come from nowhere and no one. You live for no purpose and you're going nowhere. The Beatles sang, "This." He they sang, "He's a real no man's." He's a real no man's sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. And the well-known atheist evangelist, Richard Dawkins, says, the universe is bleak, cold, and empty. But so what? Really, this position can be called no hope. Because as it concludes, in the end, there is no hope. So... Stop looking for it and just exist. Get what you can out of life and then die. That's a grand story that you can hope in. Or do you hope like a universalist who says, in the end, everybody makes it to heaven. Everybody or everyone receives a good reward. All Rivers of religion or non-religion go to the same single ocean, just like all dogs go to heaven. There really is in no hell. And God is like today's Santa Claus, who does not give cold anymore, but everyone, he knows that everyone deserves, every kid deserves a gift in abundance. And this is, to be truthful, America's spiritual hope. You talk to anyone about life after death, and this is what you're going to hear. If you talk to anyone at a funeral, their loved one is in heaven. So we all come from God. We can live where however we want to, and then we go back to God. Well, that sounds great, right? Win-win situation, right? So the rapist and his victim... they go to the same spot. The murderer and its victim, they go to the same spot, same place. The satire dictator who devoted their lives to evil and cruelty, they get to live forever with their victims. In your heart right now, this should be maybe some, where's justice? Where's love? Where's the good and the right and the true? See, like the first grand story that you could hope in, there really, in this story, is no hope. Because in the end, the hater and the lover are the same. Now, the third option that you could hope in, you could hope like a moralist. You, who says, you are your hope. And the human race is the hope for this world. So the grand story for, of a moralist is that God created the world. And we mess it up. And since we mess it up, we better fix it. We can repair ourselves and this broken world. We can do it. We can fix our mess. So education and government is our hope and savior of the world. And individually, you are your hope. You hope in yourself. This hope is dressed up very nicely in religion. So we say, you know, obey the rules. Do good to earn your salvation. uh, Follow these seven steps. Yoga yourself into divine inner light. Face your giants. You can do it. And in the end, you hope you have fixed yourself enough to look respectable to make it to heaven. Well, but is this a good hope? Well, what happens when you can't beat your Goliaths? What happens when all your stones, your six stones, miss? Or what happens when you wake up to reality and take an honest look to your life and it says, this is unrepairable? See, in this option, there really is no good Savior. Because if you can't do it, and by the way, you can't, then you then there is no other Savior. There is no one to help. There is really no good hope. And this leads us to Christianity, our fourth option and our first point of the passage, if you're taking notes. In Christianity, your hope is Jesus. There, so there is hope, and you and I are not that hope. Jesus is our hope and he is making all things new. Jesus says in verse 5 and he who sits sit on the throne says behold i am making all things new. First, let's look at Jesus. Our passage says and he who was seated on the throne. So this is Jesus and where is he seated? On the throne. Who sits on a throne? You? Me? No. A king does. A king. So Jesus is a king. And whose throne is it? Well, it's God's throne. So Jesus is God. He is the king of kings. He is God of gods. God doesn't share his throne with anybody else but himself. He doesn't have like you have... In school, we had a day maybe where one kid got to be a principal for a day. Well, he doesn't have this day in the universe. He didn't have a day where one person, uh, you know, gets to become God for a day. That just doesn't happen. He is always on the throne. He sits on the throne. He rules and he reigns over his kingdom. He is sovereign. Jesus says, verse 6, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is in control from beginning to end and everything in between. And Jesus' rule, Jesus' reign is from first to last. Nothing goes outside of it. So, the grand story, according to Christianity, was written by God. The Christian hope is that is in the God who wrote the story. It's not of chance or fate or we create our own destinies. No, hope is in Jesus, who is God, who is king over the story. And the grand story of Christianity is found in the Bible and the the book that God wrote. And so we find ourselves on the last page, but to understand it, we must turn to the first page. And so on the first page, we first see that God exists before anything God exists he's independent he's self existing he doesn't need creation that's amazing that is amazing but in his overflow of his glory he wants to create creation and so he does he speaks and is done God created the world good Heaven, earth, sky and land, plants and animals, and finally, people. So, we were made by God. We, we began our story by, we were made by God. We were made in His image with dignity and worth and value from our Creator. And we exist. We exist for God. God spoke to us in relationship and gave us moral commands to follow for our good. These are things that we can enjoy. But, or instead, we, we walked away. We walked away and rebelled against our Creator. And so now, we are hopeless without God. Hopeless without God. The Bible calls this hopelessness, Sin. Now some of you don 't like to hear about sin you don 't like to be called sinners, but let me say to you that it is incredibly helpful to believe in sin it It explains the world in which we live in it explains in the world and why it is not the way it should be it explains why you why we are not the way we should be. Sin is anything contrary to God morally it is Omniscient, things that you shouldn't have done but have but did. It is commission, things you should have done but you didn't. It's found in our words and our thoughts and our deeds and our mind and our heart. And when man fail, rather than turning everything into gold like Midas did, you know, everything that we touched, it broke it broke. And so there is a broken creation, broken lives, broken relationships, and broken worship, and broken churches. And we are hopeless in and of ourselves. So at this point in the story, we have God who is self-existing, doesn't need creation. And we have man who is walking away from God, rebelling against God, but does need God. He does need God. God we do need God. Now God could have let man go rightfully or God could have wiped away these rebels both leaving man without hope. But instead instead God in his grace over the course of history comes speaks promises that he will come and rescue and make all things new, that God will be our hope. And then at the right time, at the right time, Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, to rescue and to make all things new. And then in his perfect life and his atoning death and his victorious resurrection, Jesus begins to usher in the new creation, He's making all things new, reversing the brokenness which we have caused, redeeming the broken who now can hope in him. And in the end, the vision of the Christian hope is in the vision which is given to the Apostle John here stating, I will make all things new. So the Christian story is not... Beginning, middle, and then end. But no, the Christian story is beginning, middle, new beginnings. New beginnings. And so let us see this new beginnings of where we're going. And the first thing that we want to look at is that in this new beginnings, there's Jesus has a new place. which A new place. During the final days on Earth, Jesus gathered his disciples in an upper room uh, to strengthen them and the, to comfort him, them, their hearts for the immediate hour that was upon them, which was his death. And Jesus promised a new place for his followers. Jesus says in John fourteen one through three, he says, "Let not your hearts be troubled." Before I go on. There's, there's a lot of things that can, that can trouble us in this world, that can trouble our hearts you know, globally and you know, locally, things we see, and, and then personally. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you there to myself, that where I am, you may also be. The promise which Jesus makes to his followers is unfolded in a greater detail, which is received by John. We see this in Revelation 21, 1 and 2, which states, or it has, a new heaven and a new earth. And a new city. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridegroom adorned for her husband. Can you can you imagine the hope which that, that this brent brought to the first century Christians, and yes to to us too, but those first century Christians, they were were a minority at best in the Roman world. They had no real place of their own existing. They were exiles and, and, and aliens and strangers of this world. They were not wanted by the Romans or the Jews and being persecuted by both. And Jesus says, though you're not there yet, just wait and see what I have in store for you. I will give you something to hope about. Here, here is where your final home will be. And ever since I have come, ever since I've come the first time, I am renewing parts of creation from sin and decay. But know this, that I am going to finish the job completely. And this is the glorious picture that we see in the final dwelling place. And it is absolutely amazing. There are three things which marks Jesus' place different than our place that we live in today. First, the formal order is replaced by a new order. John says this, For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And in verse 4, the former things have passed away. Everything which we broke, Jesus renews. For the the creation, Paul says, was subjected to fertility and is in bondage to corruption and to decay. And scientists, they have... A, a, a big word for or big thing for this. He says, they, they call it this second law of thermodynamics, which states that all systems denigrate when left to themselves. The Bible has a theological reason, the effects of sin. Yet, that law and the corruption and the decay are no more, are no more. And the new order and the new creation things last, joy last, love last. Even here on earth, good things don't really last for that long. Those sweet moments with your spouse, with your friends, with your children, those cool new gadgets, even those times of renewal and, and revival in your hearts for Jesus that you love there's sweet times for Jesus they fade but not there not there there is an ever increasing enjoyment as Jonathan Edwards would say second pain is replaced by joy you see this in verse 4 and when when, when we see this, it's expressed in a very human level, a very human level as we experience this all too often. Verse 4, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Again, for the former things have passed away. Much of our lives are marked by pain and suffering. It's due to sin. But you see, here, no more sin. No more sin. There is no more sin which is, causes so much of our pain. There is no more dark days or sleepless nights. Jesus has dealt with it. All of it. All of it. When Jesus first came on the cross, he said, It is finished. It is finished. And the mission of Jesus was to take the condemnation and the penalty of sin and to justify and to forgive all those who would believe in him and who would trust in him and to disarm Satan so that no longer could our adversaries accuse us of sin. And this he completed perfectly. He completed his mission perfectly, securing our salvation. But sin still resides. Satan still fights. But here, verse 6, it is done. It is done. So Jesus' first coming, he inaugurates the kingdom on his first coming. But here, he brings it to consummation. As Revelation 20 reveals, Jesus finishes off Satan once for all, and there now is no more sin, and there is nothing unclean in Jesus' new place. Revelation 21, 27 states, But nothing unclean will ever enter in. The people of God will be glorified, and sin is no longer a part of our experience and Existence, it is done away with. And third, death is replaced by life. You see this in verse 4. Again, he wipes away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Death brings tears, but here death is eradicated. Jesus is our hero and our hope over death. Because of Jesus' resurrection, death has been conquered. Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of Jesus is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory, victory in Jesus through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our victory. He has made the victory of death. But on this world, we still have funerals. And vo- death still has a voice. But yet, in an unimaginable way, death will be no more in our creation, in the new creation. And it is replaced by life. We, we see That we we eat of the tree of life and the river of God, which is flowing from the center of the creation, and where it flows and wherever it goes, it brings life. Again, what hope does this bring to us? What hope would it have brought to the first-century readers? In Revelation two, you have a little, small church, a little faithful church of the Church of Smyrna who went through some tough tribulations. And Jesus walks among this church. He sees and he knows the suffering which they deal with. And even he tells them that they will be thrown into prison and ask them to be faithful unto death. Now what hope could they have? How could Jesus say, be faithful unto death? What hope do they have? Those Christians, as well as we today, have the hope in Jesus' promise that death has no final voice. And they will live again with him in paradise. They will live again with him in paradise. Now that we've seen Jesus' new place, we get to see Jesus' new people And we see two amazing truths here. The people are with God and the people want God. The people are with God. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with their God. This is the final renewal as once man had with God in the garden. And ever since we walked away, God has promised through the prophets saying, I will, be, I will be your God and you will be my people over and over. It's a constant theme in scripture. You see it and that's why you have the, 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 the tabernacle and that's why you have the temple. There's, there's pictures and glimpses and then in John 1.14 says, that Jesus says that God dwelt with us, that Jesus made, the word was made flesh. And so now he dwelt with us. But that was, and again, an inaugurated position. It was just in part, one day we will come and we will, we will now find ourselves in God's presence fully, fully. You can't get any higher than this. You can't get any higher than this. The highest end, the ultimate goal, the chief end of man is to dwell with God, to see his glory and to live under and for him. The people of God will see the face of God. And we will absolutely be enthralled with it and enjoy it and be amazed by it over and over 10,000 days, we will be able to sing his praises and to worship and to serve him on creation. And so when we see the face of God, we we want the face of God. We don't want the things of this world. We want the face of God. And so that is what happens in the new creation in verse 6. It says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of living Uh, The water of life without payment. This is a, a metaphor of salvation and the new birth. God's people want God. They thirst after God. They are satisfied in God. This is what happens. This happens because of the new birth or what theologians called regeneration. Paul calls it new creation. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, it's a deposit of the new a new creation heart. Your desires, your thoughts, your actions are now new creation desires and new creation thoughts and new creation actions. You're living heavenly. You want to serve God. You want to love God. You want to love others. You think heavenly minded. You live in light of heaven. This is the desire of the Christian. Yes, today we still experience the frustration of Romans 7 and the battle within. But in the new creation, as Jesus' new people, we will only have one desire. One thing I ask, and this is what I seek. To gaze upon the the Lord. We will have that one desire, and that will be Jesus We will have that one desire. Oh, and and by the way, by the way, you can't buy it. You can't buy it because it's not for sale. It's, It's of grace. Jesus' hope is of grace. It's a gift. It's without payment. So, receive it. Receive it freely. Receive Jesus' hope freely. So, where is your hope? Jesus or something else? Our passage ends challenging us with two kinds of people. Conquerors and cowards. Conquerors and cowards. The Lord promises, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this inheritance and I will be his God and he will be my son As we walk, as conquerors, as we walk to the city of God, we often can lose hope. We can try different hopes. We can lose sight of things to come. People will say often that this this hope is pie in the sky, or our sin weighs us down, or our thirst becomes dry. Jesus here. Lovingly reminds the Christian to conquer. Keep walking in faith. As Paul says at the end of his days, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We keep hoping in Jesus, remembering that these words are trustworthy and true. And I say to you, Christian, this year, 2013, keep conquering Keep holding on to Christ. Don't share in the sins of the world. Keep repenting of sin. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And your work is not in vain. Jesus is making all things new. Stay on the journey for there is a glorious new beginnings awaiting you. But there's a second. Or will you be a coward and stay in your sin? Stay in your sin. You walked away from God, and now you're just going to continue to walk. And you are without hope. Over some, you walk away from church. You walk away from faith. You walk away from repentance. And the thirst and the hope is found in something else, found something other than Jesus. Jesus describes them as well. Verse 8, But as for you, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There are some of you which this describes. For you, you hope in your sin. You love your sin. And Jesus says, your hope turns into horror. So, as Jesus says to the seven churches, and I say to you, repent. Repent. Stop hoping in your sin. Stop hoping in yourself. Admit it is hopeless and hope in Jesus. There is still hope, but you must repent of your sins and hope in Jesus. So, The Spirit says, come. He says, come. Come all who desire to conquer. Come, come. Let the one who hears says, come. Let the one who thirsts, do you thirst today? Come, come and let you drink water without a price. Let us pray.